when I think about Father's Day, that's what I think about. I also think about the differences between men and women because there's a big difference. And, and children need to have both uh, parental uh, uh, p- uh, parents speaking into their lives to find real balance. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> Rather humorous way to put it, but it's actually pretty true. And uh, some of you maybe heard this, but <clears throat> according to a man, uh, a definition, what is a cat? Okay, what would you say a cat is according to a man? And a man would say that cats do whatever they want. They're rare, they rarely listen to you. They are totally unpredictable. When you want to play, they want to be left alone. When you want to be left alone, they want to play. They expect you to cater to every whim, to their every whim. They're moody, and they leave hair everywhere. They drive you nuts and cost you an arm and a leg. And conclusion is, they're tiny women in fur coats. Of course, the ladies, what is a dog, according to a lady? Dogs lie around all day sprawled on the most comfortable piece of furniture in the house. They can hear a package of food opening a block away but they don't hear you when you're in the same room. They growl when they're not happy. When you want to play, they want to play. When you want to be left alone, they want to play. They're great at begging. They will love you forever if you just rub their tummies. They leave their toys everywhere. They do disgusting things with their mouths, and then they want to try to give you a kiss. Conclusion, according to a woman, they're little men in fur coats. So we have that... A little definition there on a Father's Day to remember the differences between men and women. And like somebody once said, the difference between a man and a woman, a man said, viva la difference, which in French means, uh, thank goodness for that little difference, you know, that's pretty awesome. I don't know about you, but I, I love being a man. I love being a dad. I really love being a grandpa, but I love being a husband. I love my wife. She's been faithful to me. She's the mother of my five daughters and uh, a grandmother of our children and a uh, mother-in-law to our son-in-laws who like their mother-in-law, by the way. They get along very well, thank you. And that's an awesome thing, isn't it, to have that kind of legacy, and I trust that for you as well. I want to speak today, and actually just pointing out, this is June 17, 2021, uh, that my first time preaching at Calvary Temple at that time at the old church was on uh, June, uh, actually June 17th, 2001. This is June uh, 20th, uh, 20th, uh, but uh, just a few days off my 20th anniversary, the day that uh, that Sunday evening on Father's Day, there was a business meeting and we got a call at the motel that we had been voted in uh, by a little over 93% of the congregation, the voting members. Uh, I never did try to figure out who the 7% were who didn't vote for us, that's okay. Uh, that's not important. Uh, suffice to say, a year later, it was still the same. Nobody left, but I assume it's either the same seven percent or the, are they, or a different seven percent? You know, I don't know. Don't care. I just know that I know that I know that I know that God called me to Marinette to be the pastor here, and I've been thankful. My wife has, my family ever since, and I know Pastor Curl and uh, Sister Curl pastored here uh, from 74 to 80, and they feel the same way. They love this church, love this congregation, 
and uh, they've been a blessing uh, to us uh, since they retired and become a part of this congregation. Sister Curl taken home to be with the Lord, and uh, uh, she is celebrating in heaven today uh, her salvation. Somebody say amen. So uh, I just like, you know, the title of my message today is Leaving a Pathway That Leads to Blessing. We all want, I think every, every father wants uh, to leave a good pathway for his children. Good fathers want to do that. Uh, sometimes uh, fathers, you know, tend to be, as Catherine pointed out, there's some that wounded their children, and that's unfortunate. But uh, the good news, like Catherine said, we have a good, good father in heaven. He's a good dad. He's a good papa. And, and I tell you, he is a blessing to me, a good father to me. Uh, but uh, there was a group of primary school children who were asked to describe what makes up a good dad. What do you think makes a good dad? And they agreed that a good dad makes you feel safe. Uh, they can protect us from being hurt. Uh, knows how to keep out the bad guys. And a good dad always listens to mom. I don't know how many good dads we have here according to that definition, but I hope so. Uh, Howard Todd Collins uh, outlines some of the qualities that are proven most significant in helping kids grow to, res to be resilient, healthy individuals. And a few of these, I'm not going to use all these, but just to go down just a list of just a few, because I agree with this, is number one is dependability. A good dad is dependable. And what does that mean? It means that they are there through thick and thin, being consistent and available to kids. They don't cut and run. They don't quit when times get rough and times get tough. Uh, and, and secondly is being personally involved in their kids' lives and in the family. That the family is important. That we spend time with our children and spend time with our wives to build a healthy family. That means sometimes, like when I was younger, I worked a lot of hours. I was in sales, and then I went into management. And uh, there were times that I, you know, trying to learn how to how to be a good golfer because in a sales management we had golf tournaments, and I liked enjoyed golfing too, by the way. But because of the expense and because it took time away from my family, when I'd already been working on a huge amount of hours that I chose not to pursue that. I chose not to push that. And because of that, today, I'm still a horrible golfer. I mean, I'm bad, but I don't care. I still like going out uh, occasionally. I uh, haven't done it for years, but I still enjoy doing that. Uh, thirdly is having compassion. A good father, you know, it's, it's good to be tough and manly. You know, generally, uh, the mothers are, are usually the compassionate ones, you know, the empathetic ones, the ones who feel the touch that uh, soothe, you know, hurt feelings. And, and, but <clears throat> but uh, men need to have compassion as well. And what we don't have naturally because of our manliness, because of the testosterone, we have to learn to be compassionate. Amen? We can learn compassion. And uh, God can help us with that and be connected to your kids. And number four is really important. We've already touched on that. Value the mother of your children. Show respect to her. Honor her, even though through her imperfections. I mean, goodness knows we men have a lot of imperfections. It doesn't always mean agreeing with her, but honoring her nonetheless. You can disagree agreeably. Somebody say amen. I mean, that's true, right? If we, if we really work at that. And children notice how a man, how a husband treats his wife, how they, how they treat their mother. I had five daughters, and I can tell you that when we would have a little disagreement, little tiff, and, and if mom would cry, she could be totally wrong, obviously wrong. And it didn't matter. My daughters knew she was wrong. 
And they would turn and look at me and give me that look, and I would just melt. It's like, but she's wrong. I was, the, I was the victim here. And it's like, no, you made mom cry. It didn't matter whether you were right or wrong. If you make mom cry, then you're the bad guy. I'm just telling you. Some of you guys know that, amen? You want to give me a witness there? And so, you know, valuing mom, loving her uh, through thick and thin. And, and can I tell you this? I know in the age that we live in, the culture, there's so many divorces. And I understand that. And God will forgive and pardon that. Uh, you know, but I'm telling you that even though you may have an ex and she has your children that you share, I don't care how mad she makes you. You need to honor her. And to your children, and you need to guard your tongue, guard your mouth. And I say the same thing to moms about dads. Guard your tongue and, and honor the father of your children. And also being verbally expressive in encouragement, expressing love, and being very clear about the rules. So they understand clearly what, what is expected, you know, but especially in expressing love. Now, some men, I've heard some ch- uh, adults tell me that my dad, he never told me he loved me. He didn't express any kind of affection to me. Well, that's unfortunate because I believe that dads should be very affectionate in the expression of their words and their body language to their children in an appropriate way. Another one is being an example of honesty and integrity. And there's a big lack in that in our culture today. But children need a moral guide. And I'll tell you what, as I said earlier, children will do what you say until they get old enough and big enough to do as you do. And then it doesn't matter what you say, but a wise parent, a wise father will raise his children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and set an example of what, how that is done. And then the children will follow that example more than likely. And so the other one, uh, playfulness, have fun, play games, jokes, humor, uh, but not crude and harsh humor, sarcastic humor. And uh, one more is being an example of how to work hard and earn a good living. Uh, Teaching your children the value of money will help them be successful in life. So uh, that's that's just a little something I threw in there. Um, But children, I think, are like a book um, whose pages are not yet written. When they're born, they have a blank slate. You know, God in heaven has a book for them and writes on the pages of his purposes and plans for their life. And, and, <clears throat> but it, when we receive those children into our homes by birth or by adoption, the story of their life unfolds day by day. The ending of their book at the end of their life is yet to be determined by what is written in the book throughout the years. The pages of their book are written upon their hearts <clears throat> and on their memories of what truth is and who God is and their, what is my purpose in life and the reason for me being even alive, giving them something to believe in. I don't know about you all, but I think the suicide rates among young people is entirely too high. One is too many. And I think some of that happens, I think most of it happens when children don't understand that there is a creator God who loved them so much that he formed them and knit them together in their mother's wombs and has a purpose for their life, no matter what their circumstances in life are, that God has a plan for them. And if our parents, if the parents don't teach them that, then that is unfortunate and very sad indeed. But we can learn that by coming to faith in Christ. 
In 1 Kings chapter 9, our text today, God is speaking to Solomon in response to his prayer. How many know God answers prayers, not just of kings, um, priests, but to everyday people? And God answers prayer. And he's speaking to Solomon in response to that prayer after Solomon built the temple, dedication, and he built his palace. And God tells him this. Listen to this. Verse number 3 of chapter 9. I have heard your prayers and your petition. I have set this temple apart to be holy. This place you have built where my name will be honored forever. Can I tell you in the New Testament that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And God's hand is upon us, and we are the dwelling place uh, of the Holy Spirit when we are born again, that he, we are the temple of God. Uh, and, and in this case, God's name was there at that temple. And I will always, God says, watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As for you, if, say if, <clears throat> if you follow, will follow me with integrity and godliness, as David your father did, Say that with me, as David your father did, as your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations. And verse number five, God will says that if you do this, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. In other words, from generation to generation, God promises, uh, as he did to his father David, that one of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel in Jerusalem. So really, the values and the standards of parents most often become the standards of children. Solomon had a good dad. Dad, Now, David wasn't perfect. Somebody say, man, I don't think there's any perfect father except our father in heaven. But David wasn't perfect, but he was, his, his redeeming, overwhelming characteristic was that he was a man who chased after the heart of God. God said of him that this man, David, is a man after my own heart. He, he chased after God. He had a tender heart towards the God of Israel. He rejoiced in him. He celebrated God. He wrote psalms and songs to God. And David was a worshiper. And I, I love that. So Because you know what that means is David, his saving characteristic, really was an example to his children and his children's children of how one should have a relationship with God. Solomon watched his father In the midst of all of his mistakes, he saw that characteristic, and Solomon was the one who built the temple in Jerusalem. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Some have supposed that to be a promise of God. That is really not a promise. It's a general statement of a truth, is that when parents take the responsibility seriously of training up their child in the way he should go, of helping form a pathway, as I said in my habit, leaving a pathway that leads to blessing, is that the, parent, the children will look at that and say, I think that seems right to me. That seems okay to me, right? Uh, and so uh, follow that. In any event, I believe that certain choices that we make as dads can have both a temporal and an eternal consequences in our children's lives and the succeeding generations. My daughter Lisa is here with me today, and uh, Donna, and uh, has been for a few days, and we have been enjoying her company. It's nice when your children uh, come home. Pastor Curl has a beautiful daughter here today, and he's thankful for that and for his daughters as well. Uh, But it is a delight to have her here. She is a successful teacher. Uh, She has earned a master's degree in in, uh, her realm, uh, area of education, and we're very proud of her accomplishments. But you know, the thing of all those things that we're most proud of is that 
she is a God follower, that she loves the Lord with all of her heart, uh, that she is committed to Him and does her best to live for Jesus. And, and I, I'm thankful for that, that my children do that. And really, as a dad, as a Christian dad, that means more to me than anything. Um, we make choices, and sometimes those choices affect either positively or negatively on our children's life. For example, uh, there's this uh, study, I've always been fascinated by it, um, but um, <clears throat> let me just read this to you. This is fascinating. Some of you maybe have heard this. This is a true story. Uh, some who don't know who Jonathan Edwards was, he was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. He was a catalyst for uh, American history for the Great Awakening, the revival that swept across the colonies that laid a foundation for a godly nation uh, to grow uh, on that foundation. He was best known for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which brought multitudes to Christ in repentance of sin. But he was so much more than that. He was a pastor and a preacher of so many things and a blessing. He was one of the most respected preachers in his day and even to this day. He attended Yale at the age of 13 years old and later went on to become the president of Princeton College. He married his wife Sarah in 1727 and they were blessed with 11 children. Every night when uh, Mr. Edwards came home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child, calling them by name. Jonathan and his wife Sarah passed a great godly legacy to their 11 children. An American educator, A.E. Winship, uh, decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death, and this was his findings. They were remarkable, to say the least, and then compared them to another man from the same time period known as Max Jutes, who you've never heard of, I'm sure. Jonathan Edwards' legacy includes, listen to this, one U.S. vice president, <clears throat> one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. How may this be explained? Edwards, number one, was a very godly man. He also believed in hard work, and, and he was intelligent and moral in his ways. Furthermore, uh, Winship uh, states that much of the capacity of, and talent and intensity of character of the more than 1,400 Edwards family is due to Miss, Mrs. Edwards. Thank you, Mom. Max Jukes, Jukes' legacy was this. He came to the people's attention when the family tree of 42 different men in, New York, in the New York prison system were traced back to him. He lived in New York about the same time period as Edwards. The Jukes family originally was studied by sociologist Richard L. Dugdale in 1877. Jukes' descendants included <clears throat> seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, and 440 who were descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. These contrasting legacies provide an example of what some call the five-generation rule. 
as that five-generation rule. How a parent raises their child, the love that they give, the values they teach, <clears throat> the emotional support they offer, the education they provide, the influences not only <clears throat> their children, but the four generations to follow that first generation for either good or for evil. And that is an incredibly challenging thought. If someone studied your descendants four generations later, what will they find uh, if the Lord tarries? What will they discover about you, the first generation? Do you want an Edwards legacy or a Jukes legacy? The life you live will determine the path that you leave behind for the succeeding generations. You know, Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In the day and age which we live in, it is a time that we need godly parents, but especially godly fathers, who will stick around and do the job that God intended for them to do in reaching their own children for Christ and setting an example and creating a pathway for them to follow that will lead them to blessing and not a curse. Somebody say amen. Uh, children uh, need to be taught Good children don't just happen, they are formed and they are shaped, they are molded uh, by the parents and how they mold them and how they shape them, the example that they leave for them. And we need today, if there ever was a time for this, we need men whose hearts are aflame with the passion and the privilege of fatherhood, a passion and a love for God, but a passion and a, the, of the privilege of fatherhood. When dad or stepdads, uh, whether dad or stepdads, men need to pour their efforts into building strong families whose God is the Lord and their standards and mor morality reflect the scriptural standards of the Lord. The standards of the Lord. The reason this nation is in dire straits right now of impending judgment hanging over it is because we have neglected the most basic principles of parenthood, of raising up the next generation to serve the Lord and evangelizing the lost. Somebody say amen. I, I know that uh, my friend Dennis Schmidt, and I just use him for an example, and he doesn't mind. He's my friend, and he'll forgive me if he doesn't like it, but I think he'll like it. Dennis uh, <clears throat> had no children of his own, but he has two uh, stepchildren, and you would never know that because both the children and Dennis would never uh, even give you the impression that he's not their real father. And I remember uh, hearing stories over the years and Dennis just laughing and carrying on uh, like a child himself having fun, right? Remember we talked about being playful and having fun? Uh, dads need to do that. Of um, When uh, the children would come over and they were little, he would, uh, his three, three children, I should say, I said two, I meant three, but they would come over and he would uh, go down to the basement of the parsonage up in Athelstane and, and uh, there'd an old table down there and some chairs and he would get some blankets out and make a big tent and they'd be under there, they'd get sleeping bags and sleep under the tent for the night and his children remember those things into adulthood. And I remember uh, Dennis sharing with me one time, he said he went to visit uh, his uh, uh, son and uh, daughter-in-law, and he was in bed sleeping. His, one of his grandsons was working. He got home late, and he said, uh, I was, you know, he says, you know, when you're asleep and you're not quite totally asleep, and you're just, but you're in a state of kind of semi-unconsciousness, he said uh, <clears throat> his son, grandson Max came in. He heard uh, in his sleep, state, just footsteps real quiet coming in. And he, and he 
all of a sudden heard this whisper, I love you, Grandpa. And he felt a kiss on his forehead. And then he tiptoed out. And he said, I was just awake enough that I knew what was going on, but I was so into sleep that I couldn't wake up. And he said, and we, I want to tell you about my friend. Uh, he didn't tell me with a straight face. He had a big lump in his throat and cried when he said that. I want to tell you, as a stepdad who loved his wife's children as if they were his own. And I'm telling you, stepdads, love your sons and your daughters uh, of your wife. Uh, be a dad to them. Set the example for them. Express and show love for them and acceptance to them. Somebody say amen, amen. That's an awesome, awesome uh, testimony of my friend, and I love my friend so much. Uh, fathers have a divine call to mold the character of their children. And, you know, I can throw you all kinds of statistics, and I'm not going to have a long uh, drug-out sermon here, but, you know, what was said needed to be said about generations because I think of generational a godliness rather than just one generation because I care where my children and I care where my grandchildren and I care where my eventual great-grandchildren are going to spend their eternity once they die. I care about whether they go to heaven or go to hell. And because of that, it drives me and my wife that we wanted our children to live for the Lord. Sometimes we were a little too harsh with our children because we were trying to make sure they got it. And I think they forgave us for the harsh times. And, you know, we showed enough love, I hope, that overshadows the harshness that sometimes and the strictness that we had with them. I know that some of my family members, our family members, both Donna and mine, often commented about how that um, you are too protective over your children um, you're going to, they're not going to be able to make it in the real world because you're overly protective of them. And my response then, on the other side of the equation of time, was that uh, they are our responsibility and we'll raise them as we feel God leads us to do that. And the difference, and this is not something I'm happy about, but those who criticize us, their children didn't turn out so well. They were too permissive. Uh, they, they had very little structure and very little rules. And I'm just telling you that you can be too strict, but you can also be so lenient that your children don't understand boundaries and they don't understand coloring within the lines of God's moral standards. Are you listening to me today? Uh, you know, I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, studies uh, reveal that most fathers, uh, that, excuse me, that fathers most significantly influence their children's sexual identity. I'm not saying that that is a hard and fast rule every time, but the fact of the matter is children have good father image and, influence and, and the influence of a good father relate well to the opposite sex. These are scientific studies. Uh, wherever those uh, who are fortunate, uh, more likely to have, uh, uh, those who have unfortunate of a father, a bad father, have a trouble relating to the opposite sex. Now, these are just truths. These are facts. Whether you like them or not, facts can be stubborn things. Somebody once said, John Adams coined that phrase, and facts can be. It doesn't mean it's always true, but it generally is true. Uh, if a father gives appropriate love and affection to his daughters, the likelihood 
is very, very slim to none that she's going to be sleeping with somebody, her boyfriend, in the backseat of his car or anywhere else because she understands paternal love the way it was intended to be. And if a, a daughter or a son see that her father treats their mother well and with respect, generally a daughter will expect that kind of treatment from her boyfriend who may eventually be her husband. And vice versa, a son will understand how to treat a woman with respect. And you don't see a lot of that around today. I'm just telling you, I, I'm not trying to be a negative, uh, you know, wet blanket here, but I'm just telling you that we need to pursue men, we need to pursue godliness and uh, loving our children and setting the example that need to be set. Number two, fathers need to be a good example. How many know that's true? That just doesn't even need to be said. It's so true. And they must understand the strong influence of what his child sees in, in him and hears from him. He should, he should, they should see that he loves and respects their mother. We've said that several times because that is such an important uh, virtue. Uh, he should uh, also show the importance and the priority of the Word of God. I, I, you ought to be shouting me down right now because the priority and the authority of the Word of God should govern the standards in the home. And the standards in the home should govern the behavior of the children. Not just when they're in the home, but even when they are outside the home, outside the purview of their parents. I love the old story, uh, you know, it's a true story of, of, a, of, of, a, of a young teenage girl who went out uh, with her friends in a car and a group of teenagers in a car driving around and all of a sudden it was, I think, uh, why don't we go get some, uh, you know, somebody who can get us uh, some liquor and we can drink. And, and uh, the girl was back there and she just, you know, kind of, what do I do? I don't want to do this. And, uh, you know, we don't do that in our family. And, and so she finally just said, hey, could you, could you guys just drive back by my house and drop me off? I, don't, I really don't want to go. Oh, they started making fun of her. Oh, you just, you're just afraid you're going to get caught. You're just afraid your dad's going to get mad at you. And she said, I'm not afraid that my dad's going to get mad at me or that he's going to punish me. I'm afraid that if he finds out that I would hurt him. And she cared about what her father thought of her because her father cared about what she thought of him. You see, there's an example there. I think a father, a good father, should take their children to church, take their children to Sunday school, and not just go to church and Sunday school, tell, drop them off at the door, but to go to church and Sunday school with them. It's not popular today. He should make time for them whenever they need it. You know, I always remember Jim Dobson, uh, founder of Focus on Family and ran Focus on Family, psychologist and author, for the use who don't know him. By the way, I recommend that uh, dads and moms listen to the broadcast, the podcast of Focus on the Family. It's very, very helpful and incredible. Uh, but I remember Jim Dobson, as busy as what he was in his medical practice, but also in running Focus on the Family, that all of his uh, assistants, his secretaries, <coughs> excuse me, and administrators knew that no matter how busy he was, <clears throat> that even if he was in an important meeting, that if his son or daughter or his mother, when she was alive, or his wife ever called, that he could be interrupted for them. And I think we need to have that same attitude as well. I do in my office as well. 
But a good father protects his children from evil influences, and there's a lot of them out there. Amen? Protect them from uh, viewing certain TV, movies, uh, different magazines aren't so much, but uh, uh, wrong friends, language, sensuality of the culture, and this includes the bad influences of a secular educational system that intends to mold each child's mind into a secular and godless worldview. And I'm just saying that out loud. That you need to be responsible for creating and creating a culture uh, of a worldview that is biblical for your children. And uh, just in closing, just a few more points here. Uh, some of the uh, things that children should see their father uh, to make a good influence. And children should see their father feel their father's interest in the things that they're interested in. Games, school, grades. You know, my dad, and I love my dad uh, even before he got saved, but when he got saved, he's in heaven, and I'm so grateful to God. But my dad never showed an interest in any of our report cards, never showed any interest in our grades or school or anything like that. And I used to wonder why. And I showed probably an overactive interest in my daughters uh, that made sure that they did and probably a little too harsh with them on that. Uh, But children should also see their father working hard, making a living, should uh, help them understand the value of money, as we stated earlier. Children see their fathers express the emotions of love, affection, and not just anger and fear, but love and affection, and a trust in God. As children see their father worship God at church and and at home, because worship is more important uh, in our private time, and we celebrate together with the body of Christ when we're together. Children should hear their father read the word. In fact, I recommend that families, grandmas, grandpas, dads, uh, moms, to read the, the scriptures to your children, teach them to have a daily quiet time with the Lord. And uh, children should hear, hear their father upholding the roles of leadership and respecting authority. Children should hear their father openly and unashamedly condemning evil and injustice and things that are wrong in our culture.